Okay, thank you, Brother Dale. Let's turn in our Bibles tonight to Psalm 107 and pick up where we left off. Started to say last week, but I wasn't here last week. We were quarantined, but uh, I've had several people say how much they enjoyed the video. Uh, Vodi Bakum is just a powerful preacher, and that message about uh, God, our only hope, is just a powerful one. And so I uh, encourage everybody, even those who might be watching or if you missed, to go back and uh, take a look at that. But now we'll pick up where we've been. The psalmist in Psalm 107 talks about letting the redeemed of the Lord say so. In other words, speak up about it. And that's uh, something that's extremely important. But he also goes on in the verses we're going to look at tonight in verses 10 through 13. And he's going to reflect back on the past. Okay? Let me ask you a question. How many of you have lived long enough to have some times in your life that at the time you hated them and you couldn't wait to get out of them, but now enough time has passed, you look back and you see some benefit to all of that. Can you say amen to that? And uh, sometimes you go, that was the best thing that ever happened to me, even though I hated it at the time. And what we need to understand is God is always doing good. Everything he does is good. God is so good, we just sang about it, but... That's everything about him is good. And so when we think about the goodness of God, we think about, well, he saved us, of course. That's a good thing. He sent his son to die for us, pay the penalty for our sin, bearing the wrath of God. He was raised from the dead, uh, seated at the right hand of God the Father. That's a good thing. Uh, God is good. He gave us his word. His holy, inerrant, infallible, eternal all-sufficient word. I mean, there's nothing more that can be said uh, than what is in the word of God. What more can he say, the hymn says, than to you he has said. And uh, God has given us also his Holy Spirit living within us to give us power, to give us guidance, and also to be our, uh, John MacArthur calls him, our resident truth teacher. In other words, you understand the Word of God. You get something out of the Word of God. You love the Word of God. You're fed by the Word of God because of God Himself. The Holy Spirit lives within you. We uh, think about God in terms of maybe what He gives us. We can look at our material possessions. Um, the other day, it was about 9 degrees, and um, I checked the temperature, or maybe that was the wind chill. Anyway, it was cold. Just nonetheless, it was cold. And I thought, you know, it, it is good and warm in my house, though. And I didn't have to go out and chop firewood. Any of you ever go chop firewood? When I was growing up, we heated our house with a wood stove. And so that meant that uh, we had to have kindling for it. And we had, I got a couple of scars on here from uh, chopping those kind of things in really, really cold weather. And uh, you know what? I'm glad I don't have to do that anymore. I'm glad there's a thermostat on the wall and a heating unit that takes care of all that and keeps it at a constant temperature. That's a nice thing. And then I thought, the water. I didn't have to go out and bust ice like I did when I was a teenager. Uh, if, you've ever have, if you've ever had cattle, when it gets cold, they have to drink too. And you have to go out early in the morning and you have to take an axe and you have to bust up the uh, ice that's on their water so that they can get up there and they can drink. And I was thinking, I didn't have to do that today. And yet I complain about the cold weather. We all kind of do. And yet we have it so much better than previous generations. And we're so comfortable. And then the thought hit me. 
That's so good. I'm glad I appreciate all of that. But have I ever said thank you to the Lord? Because it's the goodness of God that on a cold, sub-zero, wind-chill day, you can take a hot shower. It's wonderful to think that you can go to bed and not worry about freezing to death. It's wonderful to be able to think about how we can cook and uh, have food that's ready to eat. And I started thinking about that, and then it pushed me a little bit further. I mean, you could, if you're thinking like I'm going, you could literally give thanks to God all day long and not cover it all. You say, why? Because I started thinking about somebody had to grow that food. And God was good enough to give rain when it was needed, wasn't he? God was good enough to give that farmer the equipment that he needed to harvest the corn or the wheat or whatever it might be. Then I started thinking about his equipment to get that food for me would be absolutely useless if he couldn't get gasoline or diesel. And I started thinking about the people that pump that out of the ground, and then I started thinking about people that transport that, and then those that have to refine that, and then those that get it to the gas stations. Then I started thinking about, boy, they couldn't do that if there weren't any roads. And I start, You see what I'm saying? I started thinking about all of those things, and everything that God had to do, and all of the people He had to have in place so that I got to eat breakfast and take a hot shower. That's amazing. And when we start thinking about everybody that feeds into our lives, known and unknown, and the God who has provided all of those people and all of those resources so that we live such a comfortable and easy life, I mean, man, somebody ought to say thank the Lord for that because we take everything for granted so much. God is good. But... As you grow in the Lord, and as you get a little, you know, a few miles on your tires, what you do is you look back and you say, God is not only good when he gives me a hot shower and a warm place to sleep and food to eat and gas and all of that kind of stuff that I might need. God is good even when he doesn't seem good even when what he's doing doesn't feel good, and even when it is not recognizable as good. Now, we all know when things are bad, and we can all recognize bad times, and we can recognize when we're in them. Now, good times are a little bit different. Sometimes we look back and we say, boy, those days were a whole lot better than I thought they were. But the bad times, man, do they ever show up, and we can spot them, and we hate them fight against them and try to get out of them and are glad when they're over. I mean, how many people were glad back in 2020, uh, everything I saw on Facebook, I can't wait until 2021, like COVID reads the calendar, all of that, hard times read the calendar, they don't do that. And uh, we do, we want out of those things. But we may look back in a few years and see some benefits to the time when we had COVID. I don't know, I'm not naming any, I don't know yet, but it may do that because God has a way of showing us that in the times that were so awful and the times when we thought God had just kind of forgotten about us or abandoned us, I mean intellectually, you know, that's not true, but in our heart we kind of feel differently about it. But as time goes by, we look back and say, you know, those really were good times. 
There were some benefits during that time. Maybe we got to stay together as a family more, and I know my kids better, or something like that. Maybe uh, there are other things that, that will come out of that that will bear fruit in 10 or 15 years, and uh, we just can't see it yet. I mean, God does those kind of things. And one of the things about growing older that is so good is you can look back and see, and this is kind of the title tonight as we look at these verses, hindsight is 2020. You ever heard that expression? Hindsight is 2020. And this psalmist is looking back at Israel and Judah's darkest hours. In about 727-ish um, BC, the Assyrians invaded the northern kingdom. You may remember that after David died and then after Solomon, his son, died, that King Rehoboam is on the throne and King Rehoboam was just a jerk and a bad politician and he didn't listen to the right people. He increased the taxes. There was civil war and the kingdom split into a northern kingdom called Israel and the southern kingdom called Judah. And uh, the prophets warned both of these nations, both of these kingdoms, repeatedly, repent or you're going to fall under the judgment of God. But they didn't listen. And they didn't you know, think that anything like that would happen. But in 727, somewhere around there, the Assyrians invaded the northern kingdom, plundered them, took them captive. The uh, northern kingdom just had bad king after bad king after bad king after bad king after bad king. And idolatry and immorality and corruption, all of that kind of stuff, just... I mean, for decade after decade after decade. And so God judged them by taking them captive. That was promised in the Word of God, by the way. God's promises are not all positive. Keep that in mind. And then the southern kingdom of Judah, they weren't quite as bad as the northern kingdom of Israel because they did have some good kings. And they had periods of revival. But the pattern, like in the northern kingdom most of the time, falling away, forgetting about God, worshiping false gods, at the same time going to the temple and um, pretending to worship the true and the living God. And so there they were one day bowing down to an idol of copper or gold or something like that, rock, wood, and then the next day going and having a feast or going through the rituals at the temple. And boy, God hated that. And he sent his prophets to them to uh, tell them, cut it out or face the consequences. And over and over and over, they had those warnings. Did they heed the warnings? You know the answer to that. No. And in 586 B.C., some guy named Nebuchadnezzar invades Judah, goes into Jerusalem, and walks into the temple itself. Now, no Jew would walk into the temple except for the priest and the high priest into the Holy of Holies. And Nebuchadnezzar did that. Can you imagine people as they held their breath thinking, now God's going to protect us and these Gentiles that have invaded us are going to die because they've walked into the presence of God and instead they walk out carrying all of those gold pieces of furniture that we've talked about on Sunday mornings. And the people looked at that and said, where is God? Why didn't he kill them? 
Why has he abandoned us and why has he forgotten us? And it was during that time that Nebuchadnezzar also took exiles. And he takes the exiles to Babylon. You remember Daniel? That's how he ended up there working in the government of the king Nebuchadnezzar and later King Darius and later King Belshazzar. And how did he get there and how did that happen? Well, he was one of the noblemen of Israel, of, of Judah anyway. And uh, when Nebuchadnezzar took the exiles, you know what he did? He took all of the rich resources that they had, the gold and the silver, and he also took the brightest and best of their kids and took them to train them in the way of the Babylonians and to use them. And so back in Israel and Judah, plundered, defeated, the uh, crops are gone, they're poor, and impoverished, they have no hope, and the brightest and best of them are gone to a foreign country, and they just languish there for 70 years. That was a rough and dark time for the Jews. And I think that is what the psalmist is reflecting back on when we start looking at verse 10 in Psalm 107. So you ready to read it? And we'll read uh, 10 through 13 is what we'll start to cover tonight. We won't get uh, through it. This will be a, a two-parter at least. Now here's where we begin. Psalm 107 verse 10. Those who sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, bound in affliction and irons, because they rebelled against the words of God and despised the counsel of the Most High. Therefore, meaning because of this, He, God, brought down their heart with labor. They fell down, they stumbled, they collapsed under the weight of the labor, and there was none to help. Verse 13. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble... And he saved them out of their distress. And so the psalmist is calling the Jews to look back to a dark, dark, dark time. And yet what happened during that dark time, that was used to drive them to the point where they cried out to the Lord. Now as I was reading that, I went, hmm, what is it going to take if the Lord were to do what we pray for Him to do in our nation. We all pray for a renewal, revival, spiritual awakening. And then I look back and see what it took for His people in the Old Testament. The Jews that Moses brought out of Egypt. The Jews that walked through the Red Sea. The Jews that ate manna in the wilderness and quail for those 40 years. Those Jews that marched around Jericho and the walls fell in. Those Jews that were able to conquer the land that God had promised to Abraham. And yet they wouldn't listen to God until they got to the point where their backs were up against the wall and they had no place else to turn. And I thought about our nation and I thought about the richness and the blessings of what God has given us. All of the resources, all of the economy, the military, uh, law and order, all of those kind of things that we start to see things kind of crumble. It's like if we were in Holland and we saw a crack in the dike, we would be worried about it. Well, in America, there's a crack in the dike going on right now. 
And I wonder if it might be the stirring of God calling this nation to repentance. And how far does that have to go? I don't know. Depends on how stubborn we are. And maybe it depends upon how faithful we are as the people of God. Are we praying like our lives dependent upon it for our nation? Are we truly burdened for souls like we ought to be so that we're looking for opportunities to witness, hand out tracts and things like that? Are we really who we ought to be in living holy lives so that we have credibility as we speak to people and that they can see that we are Christians? They don't have to guess. They don't have to wonder. They don't have to figure out our inconsistencies. I know that we are set on the Lord and we're looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And when we go back and we look at this dark time in the history of these two Jewish nations... There weren't very many people that were godly. There weren't very many people standing up for the Lord. And the ones that were were like Jeremiah. What's his nickname? The weeping prophet. What did he get for telling the truth? Heartache, trouble, persecution. And nobody listened to him. And the prophecies that were given, how would you like to have the message of prophecy The country is doomed. We're going to be invaded by foreigners. Repent and get ready for it. In fact, in Jeremiah chapter 14, there's always been a striking chapter to me where Jeremiah starts to pray and God says, Stop. Pray no more for this people. When they fast, when they pray, when they offer offerings, I'm not listening and I'm not going to accept it. You know what that is? That's, That's Bible talk for God saying it's over. The judgment is coming And there's no turning back now. They've had warning after warning after warning after warning. And sometimes they act like they're coming back and then they go right back where they were. Kind of like stretching a rubber band. It always goes back. It's over, Jeremiah. He said, but I am going to tell you this, Jeremiah. I will destroy them with famine and persecution, uh, captivity and the sword. And that's exactly what happened. How would you like to do it? No wonder he wasn't a popular preacher. No wonder he didn't have a TV ministry or anything like that. He wasn't driving around in a Cadillac or anything like that. This is a guy that was thrown into a miry pit. This is a guy they wanted to kill. This is a guy that all the false prophets said, Jeremiah's a nut. Don't listen to him. Everything's going to be fine. There's a price to pay for standing up for the truth. And we might yet see that even in our own nation because I thought, what's it going to take? What are we doing or not doing as the people of God? And are we willing to pay the price? As we said Sunday morning out of Exodus, who is on the Lord's side? Boy, it's time to stand up. And it's time to be counted and it's time to be faithful. And to be faithful regardless of the cost like our forefathers in the faith actually were and yet during that time that anybody who knows anything or experienced anything during this time and that 70 years of captivity before uh, the remnant was able to return from Babylon and start rebuilding the temple and all of that anybody who lived during that time they would be like um, maybe your grandparents talking about the great depression they would be like uh People who talk about such dark times, maybe like in the Civil War, times like that, that we've kind of forgotten about. 
And uh, it was hard. And so the psalmist says, I don't want you to forget this. There is something about a nation that forgets its past, the good as well as the bad, that it's always detrimental to them. And so the Bible always tells us, remember, 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 because we have this tendency to forget. Back uh, in 1979, our denomination, Southern Baptist Convention, was in the uh, throes of liberalism. And in our seminaries and colleges and even in our uh, institutions and agencies, liberalism that denied the word of God had taken over. And for years, conservatives had tried to fight back and they would vote in these different presidents and make these resolutions. And then finally, somebody actually read the Constitution and bylaws of the SBC and they found out how to make it work. And that was, you had to have a president who was conservative who would not only be elected and make a stand, but he also had to appoint conservative trustees to the Committee on Committees. Then the Committee on Committees, when it was conservative, would appoint conservative trustees to our schools and our boards and agencies. And so they went on about a 10-year plan to turn the convention around. And the very first president that rallied us to that and was elected in that was a guy named Adrian Rogers. Have you ever heard of Adrian Rogers? Your children have no idea who he is. He hasn't been dead all that terribly long. And yet your children have no idea, and some of you maybe, have no idea who he is. W.A. Criswell, for years, he was kind of considered the Southern Baptist Pope, pastor of First Baptist Church in Dallas, for decades, the largest church in the Southern Baptist Convention. And he was the kind of guy that when he spoke, he was like, this will date me. Remember those, when E.F. Hutton speaks, people listen. Well, when Dr. Criswell spoke, people listen. Not terribly long ago, our friend Herschel York, who teaches at Southern Seminary, said that in his classes that he teaches now, only about 30% of his students have ever heard of W.A. Criswell. He hadn't been dead all that long. We're not talking about 100 years ago. We're talking about within the last 15 years or so. It doesn't take long to pass on and to be forgotten, does it? I've used this illustration before. Go to the parks and look at the statues. And there are very few of them that you'll look at and go, Hey, look at that. That's Grandpa Bob. Let's go over there. No. Ten times out of ten, I'm going to say, you have to go, wonder who that is, and you have to go up and read the inscription. And even then, you have to Google them to find out who they were and what they had done. Sometimes I don't give you all that information. Why? Because when they put up that statue, there was the implication, nobody will ever forget this guy and the battle that he won or what he accomplished or anything like that. And yet we do. And yet we do. And so the Bible hearkens us back to history. Remember what happened. Because the old saying, this is not in the Bible, but the old saying is, those who forget history are destined to what? Repeat it. Repeat it. No wonder we don't like history. 
No longer we get bored with it. No longer we skim over it. And especially when we look at the Bible. The Bible calls us back to history and sometimes to dark times. All of the time that Judah and Israel lived there in the promised land, sometimes as one nation, sometimes as two, and all of the prophets, the word of God, the wonderful kings that they had, the Bible heroes that we read about, didn't mean anything to them very long. By the time we get them in the land after Moses and Joshua, the very next thing we find out is the last verse of Judges. In those days there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And it was a wicked, wicked, horrible time for the Jews. Then when they finally understand, you'll say, we want a king, your kids are rotten, we don't want them judging us, give us a king like the other nations. You know, it's kind of a, Johnny's got a little red wagon, we want one too. Why can't we have what they have? And so God says, go ahead and let them choose a king. And so they chose Saul. Oh, he would look good on a white horse. He would look great leading them into battle. He just looks like something you would put on Mount Rushmore. Right? And so they get that king and he turned out to be a disaster. Remember that? Then God was gracious and gave them David. And they had a period of revival and relief under all of that. And David, though he wasn't perfect, he was still a good king. In fact, in spite of what he did with Bathsheba and everything else that uh, you could hold against him, he still is the standard, the biblical standard, for what a good king is. In fact, even the Lord Jesus, when he is talked about, the thing that uh, they always bring up about him is he is the son of David. Why? Because David was such a standard bearer for righteousness. What a great time. Then Solomon comes along because all kings die. And Solomon comes along and he starts out great. The Lord says to him, ask me anything you want. Well, that's wide open, isn't it? And Solomon made a wise move even before God gifted him with wisdom. He says, give me wisdom that I may rule over your great people. And God says, because you haven't asked for any of these other things, and he names them, I'm going to give them to you along with wisdom. And boy, Solomon was just so incredibly wise. Read the book of Proverbs. That's his writing under the inspiration of the Spirit, to be sure. But God used the wisdom that he gave Solomon to... You know, I mean, we're still gaining wisdom from Solomon today. But he didn't finish well. Unlike the Apostle Paul who said, I've run the race and I've kept the faith and I've fought the good fight. No, Solomon didn't do that. He started worshiping foreign gods. He married too many women and he got influenced by them. And some of those marriages, it, it wasn't just that he was all that hypersexual. It was also because he wanted to make alliances with the pagan nations. So if I marry Pharaoh's daughter and his daughter is living here and I have children by her, Pharaoh's not going to attack a country with his grandchildren in it. And so it was political that they would do that. And uh, those wives influenced him to worship foreign gods. And thus the introduction again of idolatry 
into Israeli society. It wasn't like they should have learned, they should have learned from the golden calf under Moses, but they didn't. And it's David's son, David, his son, introduces idolatry as an acceptable form of worship into Israel. And from there it only gets worse. Because you don't ever have just a little bit of sin and a little bit of paganism. It spreads like a cancer. It spreads like a prairie fire. And so we find that things go from bad to worse, civil war, divided kingdom, and all of this kind of stuff is going on. And the psalmist is hearkening them back to that. Do you remember? Well, we'd rather not remember. Well, you need to remember because it could happen again. And there were things that we learned back then, our forefathers did, that we need to uh, learn today or relearn today, however you want to put it. And then he tells them that during that dark time, imprisonment, bondage, labor, stumbling, falling, your back is against the wall, you've got no place else to look. And then something happened. Then they called out to God. And what happened? He heard. He heard and he acted. And that's the thing we need to remember as we look at life. You may be praying for your family. And you may be saying, oh God, do a work in my family and the Lord may be saying, uh, yeah, but you're not going to like it. But this is what I have to do to get them to the place where their back is against the wall and they repent. And you're going to go through it with them. It may be that he's saying tonight whenever we say, oh God, save our country. That he might say, I'm going to. But it's going to be the darkest time America has ever been through. And you're going to go through it with them. And you're going to testify of me through all of that. It may be that anything that we are asking the Lord for, because there were people back then that were praying for Israel and Judah to return to the Lord. And guess what? They did. But only after invasion, only after famine and poverty, only after captivity and exile for 70 years, only after they came to the place where they had no other options. You know, we're people, and I, I suppose we're like everybody who has ever lived. We like to have options. We feel better if we have options. Uh, Sammy and I were trying to sell a house one time, and boy, it took a long time. And then it dawned on me that, you know, nobody's looking at the house. How are we going to sell the house if nobody's looking at it? And then I thought, well, it only takes one. I don't, I don't need 50 buyers. I just need one buyer. And uh, one person bought the house. And whew, we're off the hook, right? And you think about how many times it feels better to have options. Like if you've got six job offers, man, that feels good, doesn't it? But you're not going to take six jobs. You only need one. And so we are people who like to have options. I think that's part of what was the problem of Eve at the tree. We've got all of these trees around here except this one. Now I'm feeling squeezed in and limited. I wonder why God doesn't want me eating of that tree. And the rest, of course, is history. And there's just something about us that we like to have a variety of options, even though we're only going to take one. And we don't ever like to feel like anything is shut off for us. We like to feel like it's wide open. And uh, if we don't, we obsess on that one thing we can't have, like, like Eve did, right? And yet, our problem is, when we have options, how many times do we, and I'm talking about humanity in general, depraved humanity, how often 
do we choose what is right? How many people today are saying something like this? I'm a homosexual, and I feel shut out of society. But if I could have rights, and if I could be married like heterosexuals are, then I would be really, really happy. And I want to ask you a question since that happened. It's been a few years now. Is America a happier nation than it used to be? It's a deception, isn't it? How many people said, I'm a man trapped in a woman's body? And I say, yeah, I was too one time. My mom. <laughs> but if I could just be a woman, have the surgery, have the hormones, dress and do all of that, then I would be happy. I'm going to make a prediction. The suicide rate is going up dramatically in America right now. And I think it's going to get worse. Because as, as I think about people who are tempted in areas like I just mentioned, not to mention all of the others, and they say, if I could just be this, if I could just have this made legitimate, then I would be happy. And is that really going to bring them any happiness? No. Somebody said sin thrills and then it kills. It fascinates and then it assassinates. Well, Jesus put it like this. The thief comes only but to kill, steal, and destroy. I've come that you might have a life and have it more abundantly. And so when I think about that, I'm not angry at anybody. My heart aches for all of the people all over our country and around the world that are trying different things that they said, if I could just have this, if I could just attain this. How many people become prime ministers or presidents thinking that is going to be the fulfillment of my life and my career only to find that it promises but it can't deliver. I wonder how many multimillionaires or billionaires there are that said if I could just have this financial security and the power and the control that it brings. I wonder how many of them are going to bed rejoicing tonight. How many times have you seen somebody that said something like this? I'm so sick of the wife that I have right now. If I had her, then I would be happy. And how many people do you know that after they have an affair are just going, best thing I ever did, I recommend it to everybody. It's kind of what the movies tell you. It's what popular culture tells you. It's what popular music will tell you. But the truth of the matter is we've lived long enough and we've been around this kind of stuff to know it, it doesn't work. And the more options that we have and the more things that become acceptable in society, I mean, aren't we free now? We are unrestrained compared to the 1950s. Yeah, but are we better? And are we happier? And are we more blessed? No. The seeds of sin yield bitter fruit, don't they? And so in Israel's case... God took away all of their options. You can't even exist as a free and independent nation anymore because you're going to be captive and under the control of a Babylonian king who worships idols, who is uncircumcised, who eats unclean food. Remember, that was an issue for Daniel when he got there. 
And then he's going to be conquered by the Medes and the Persians. And you're going to be under the authority of another king. And this is going to go on and on and on. Until finally then Israel is ruled over by Alexander the Great and the Greeks. And then after that the Caesars ruled by the Romans in the time of Christ. You see all of their idolatry and all of their freedom and all of their immorality and all of the things that they said this will make us happy. God is restraining us. We've got to get rid of the straitjacket of the law of God and then baby will be free and look what happened to them. See? And that's kind of like history repeating itself, kind of like what our culture and society is doing even now. And so we look at that and if you're like me, I shudder when I think about these things. And I'm sure the people of Israel would look back on that time and they would shudder. We don't want to go through that ever, ever again. And the truth of the matter is, after the Babylonian captivity, the Jews never again had trouble with idolatry. Self-righteousness? Yeah. But idolatry? No. They learned their lesson. And God took away all of their options. And until, except for a brief period called the Maccabean period... Israel has not existed as a free and independent nation uh, from 586 B.C. until May of 1948. That's a long time, isn't it? And we think about everything that the Jews have gone through. And we think about the high price that they have paid. And then we think about how it could have been. How it could have been. What if they had listened to the prophets? What if they had repented when they were called on to repent. What if? What if? What if? And now they can look back and they can say, like the psalmist did, and he saved them out of their distresses. And we think about some of the things that have happened in our life. And at the time we thought, God is trying to kill me. What is he doing? Why isn't he answering my prayer? Why isn't he giving me the stuff? Why isn't he doing what I want him to do? That always makes me think of uh, Ron Dunn. He was being somewhat funny and yet truthful when he said this. He goes, most of the time when we say God is good, we mean he's finally behaving. Well, hindsight puts things into perspective for us. These dark times had a purpose to bring the nation of Israel, both kingdoms, to the point to where they saw that their only hope was God and there was no place else to look. It wasn't going to be in the king. It wasn't going to be in Babylon. It wasn't going to be in Samaria. It wasn't going to be anywhere else. They had to look to God and that's what it took. And the Lord graciously, and this kind of ties in with the video you watched last week, he remembered and he heard. And don't think your prayers are in vain just because you don't see them answered on your timetable because you're heard. And God remembers his promises. God remembers everything he has told us that he is going to do. So everything we look at today, we go, oh, everything's just chaotic and it's all messed up. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's under the control of God who is bringing everything down to his prophetic timetable on that day when he takes us out and on that day when he ushers in the tribulation and then 
His glorious kingdom on earth. But we've got to go through there. And we've got to. Well, the Bible says it's through much tribulation that we enter the kingdom of God. Uh, that's never changed. It's always been that way. And so we, we look at this and we need to be careful that we are not like the Jewish nation. That we are heeding the word of God and the warnings that are in the word of God. And yet so many of us, just like back then... We hear a sermon that warns us, yeah, I need to do something about that someday. And then it's in one ear and out the other. We forget it. We have our daily Bible reading and the Bible says, do not do this or this will happen. And we go, yeah, yeah, that, that, that's true. I've seen that happen in old uh, uh, George's life. Then we close it and we never see it happening in our life until it's too late. And so this God who loves his covenant people so much... He accepts him and accepts us the way we are, but he loves us too much to let us stay that way. And depending upon the submission of our heart toward him, he'll deal with us in any way he has to, to get us to the point to where we rely on the Lord, fully trusting in him. So let's close by just rereading this and saying, Lord, don't let me be stubborn like your people were back in that day. Because human nature doesn't change, and neither does God. Those who, verse 10, those who sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, bound in affliction and irons, because they rebelled against the words of God, and they despised the counsel of the Most High. Therefore, he brought down their heart, with labor, and they fell down, and there was no one to help. No one to help. See the limiting of options? Nobody there. Like the prodigal son, where'd all my friends go? Where are all these people? None to help. Verse 13. Well, what else is there to do but this? Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them. Somebody say amen. And he saved them out of their distress. Okay? We'll cover more. i got a lot more to talk about on all of that. But we'll cover more uh, next week, Lord willing. And so let's just stop and let's have a word of prayer. Because as we think about all of these things that our nation is going through and that we go through in our personal lives, we're reminded we reap what we sow. And uh, we in this nation have sown a lot of seeds, and then we're praying for crop failure. Doesn't work that way, folks. Doesn't work that way. We reap what we sow. And it's not only the big bad pagans out there that are the problem. And that's why the Apostle Peter said it's time for judgment to begin in the house of God. So we've got to look and we've got to take it seriously because if we don't take it seriously, how do we ever expect our children to take it seriously? How do we expect our neighbors to take it seriously? We, we're the people of God. We're the standard bearers. So let's pray that we would do that because I think the warning signs like they were in Israel are all around us. Are we going to pay attention to what the Word of God has to say? Okay, Let's bow our heads. Oh, Father, forgive us when we're so concerned about 
physical needs, stuff we want, even stuff we need, even to the point to where when we pray for people, we don't even give a thought about their soul. But we sure pray for their body, and we pray for their healing. We pray that you would help somebody and comfort somebody. Not that there's anything wrong with any of that, except that we get it all out of order. And we forget that whatever pain they're experiencing now is temporary, but hell is eternal. And we forget about keeping the main thing the main thing. And I pray, Lord, that we would listen to what your Spirit is saying to us as we think back. Did we learn lessons from previous times when times were hard and when things were bad? Did we learn what we were supposed to learn or are we just repeating and making the same old mistakes? That's certainly true for our nation. Certainly true for the culture in which we live. Certainly true in everyday life. People just seem to be making the same mistakes over and over and over and over instead of turning to you and your precious word. But Lord, that doesn't bother me quite as much as to look at us, to look at my own life. Are we, am I learning from mistakes I've made in the past? Am I learning from the discipline of God in the past? Am I learning what I should have learned and should remember from something that happened 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago? And I pray, Father, that you would forgive me for my ears that are so dull of hearing. and Forgive us for our ears that are so dull of hearing. Forgive us for being stiff-necked and stubborn, persisting in our own way. Forgive us, Father, for our hearts that stray and become cold and indifferent to you. Forgive us for when we start accommodating the way the world thinks into our church and into our own life. Forgive us for when we start thinking that sin is just not really a big deal. After all, we're under grace. Don't worry about it. And your holiness is offended. And Lord Jesus, thank you that you died for all of that. And that you keep us secure in all of that. But oh, what ungrateful, ungrateful servants we are. Please forgive us. And renew us. And let us remember the good things that come out of dark times. With 2020 hindsight. And give us an opportunity to share that with other people, both saved and lost, and to testify the gospel of Jesus Christ and the goodness of Christ. Now, Lord, we certainly don't want to forget our people who are sick. And we've had a lot of COVID and things like that breaking out lately. But that's not the only thing. People have other diseases, other problems that are plaguing them. And we ask you to heal them, comfort them, and help them. We think, Lord, about people who are struggling in their family, in their marriage, and with their children or grandchildren. Oh, Lord, we pray for them. Please bring prodigals home. We pray for people around the world who are suffering and imprisoned and persecuted in other countries in ways we know nothing about. We pray for them that they might endure, that they might have their needs met. And we want to pray, Father, that 
you would remind us of how good you are in everyday life with everyday things. Don't let us forget to give you thanks for that. But Lord, as we've been talking about tonight, don't let us fail to hear your word and to repent and to obey what you have told us and to be an influence for good in this rotten, depraved world in which we live that you might be glorified in us and through us as never before. And we pray all of this because we believe this and because this lines up with your word and with your will for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.